everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Anthony, and this is Bottom Bracket Biking Podcast. A couple's guide to biking. Hello, and welcome to episode 24. Yeah, today we're talking with our friends who are med students, but first we have to do the events, and then we'll get into the whole body talk. So what do we have for events coming up, Anthony? Uh, High Trestle Trail Sunday Funday Rides. Uh, that's a mouthful. We talked about it last week, right? It starts from the Fat Tire Lounge mm-hmm. uh, Sunday, April 11th at 11 a.m. There you go. Also on Sunday, April 11th, multiple times, is the Sylvan Island Stampede in Moline, Illinois. So it's actually a island between um, Iowa and Illinois. And this is our first IMBCS mountain bike race of the year. So like I said, there are multiple categories and times, so make sure to check that out if you are interested. You don't sound nearly as excited about that as I am. I love mountain biking. All right, it's on. We talked about this last time, the Fun Haters Ride. Uh, it starts in the Triangle Tap Saturday, or, yeah, Saturday, April 17th. And I don't remember this one. Do you remember this one? I know we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. Go it, listen to our other episode. It's a party ride. We, <laughs> we don't get paid to research. <laughs> Next event, we are back on the High Trestle Trail Sunday Funday Rides on Saturday, or on Sunday the 18th of April. Same thing as before, and I'm just going to throw this in. This is also the following Sunday as well. It's almost like it's a weekly ride. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the Big Kahune. Is that how you pronounce that word? Iowa Wind and Rock. Uh, it's down in Winterset, Iowa, Saturday, April 17th. We talked about this on our last episode. And if you're not prepared for it and not signed up for it, it's too late. But I just always have to give that one a shout out because it is insane. It's a bonkers ride. <laughs> <laughs> it is insane. All Good right. luck to everyone who's doing that one, by the way. So if it seems like we just went through that section pretty quick, we did. And it's because we are very excited for our main session today. So we have a couple of guests on. They are our med student and bike riding friends, Matt and Aubrey. I think you've probably heard us talk about Aubrey in the past when we did a couple of Bentonville trips, and I'm very excited to welcome them on. So if you guys want to start, could you tell us what your favorite bike is right now and then give a brief introduction? Yeah. So, hey, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm a fourth year medical student and was a paramedic in a prior life to help pay for undergrad. And right now, my favorite bicycle is my S-Works Epic Hardtail, um, because Hardtail Gang is life, and there's nothing like ripping up those climbs without losing any of your legs to pedal bobs, so I think that's pretty cool. And until recently, that was your only bike, right? Yep, until recently, that's my only bike. I just picked up a a Vado 4.0 to actually ride my bike to work, um, because... Yeah, I never thought I'd be buying an e-bike. <laughs> I'm actually really, really excited to hear what you think about that bike. Yeah, I'll definitely, definitely keep y'all posted. I've, I've considered e-bikes as well the vehicle replacement. But Aubrey, <laughs> do you have a bike that you like to ride? Do you even ride anymore? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <Are you? laughs> um, yes, my favorite bike is my only bike with me right now, which is my hot pink Non as works epic, um, full suspension <laughs> that I just replaced the brain with a, 
a Fox rear shock because I was sick of having it serviced. So yeah, shout out to Specialized for making a brain that fails every two to three months. So I hope, <laughs> hope y'all fix that. Not the best. Did you? <laughs> I find that hilarious because maybe mine was replaced before I got the bike, but my Epic is a 2013 and I've never had an issue with the brain. Well, Jen, your bike has a Gen 1 brain where the ones that we have is a Gen 2. Yeah, yeah my old Gen design. 1 brain lasted me six or seven years of riding pretty much daily before I had any issues with it and it needed to be serviced once. Um, but the new Gen 2 brains are just, they. I, I hope Specialized fixes them. Well, they, they have a, a Gen 3 now, so they're phasing out the two, but they never oh. did fix it as far as I know. Everybody I know who has the full suspension Epic has blown out that stupid thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I wish I had gone gone with a Scott Spark like Kate Courtney did. (laughs) She was on an epic before. Now she's not. Oh, you guys fall in the pro scene and shit. Holy cow. (laughs) Some celebrity crushes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's Matt and Aubrey. A little bit about them anyway. And I think we could devolve into an entire hour of just talking fun bike stuff. So we're going to have to pull this back on track. Big disclaimer here at the top. This isn't medical advice. If we talk about something that you think is like applies to you, who do we go talk to? Matt. Primary care physician. There, that is the correct answer. Apparently, I don't actually know. <laughs> it is, just, it it is always. Yeah. I was going to say go talk to a doctor that you know. Yeah. We are and learning a lot with all of you guys on this one. <laughs> And shout out that one of the most important things that you can do for your health is to have a primary care physician that you see regularly so you're up to date on all of your screenings and can get ahead of the ball before you find yourself in any any dire straits. Yes. Yeah. Secondary disclaimer before we get into the good stuff here. We might be talking about ooey gooey things. So if you cannot stand the thought of bike injuries and will never get injured, maybe sit this one out and we'll catch you next time. But yeah, if you're that if you're that grossed out about things that might happen, maybe don't bike because if you fall, you're going to need to know. <laughs> also, it, it is a podcast, guys. We're not going to be showing you pictures. Ooh, we should show <laughs> pictures. <laughs> so me and Jen's background in the whole medical thing is we took a Knowles class once so that we could limp our broken body and friends out of the forest. So when we talk about things, that's going to be our perspective, uh, both for the listeners and for you, Matt and Aubrey. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of excited. I guess, are you guys, is there anything else you wanted to add before we got started? Uh, Actually, yeah. So um, when I was a paramedic, I worked in some pretty rural areas. Um, and have done a lot of climbing expeditions in in a wilderness environments, um, and have definitely gotten into some hairy situations. And I uh, want to iterate that in the event of like a crash or something, especially if you're mountain biking far away from home, um, the things that you do can actually have a big impact on helping someone recover well. But we'll be talking about that later. Yeah, that was kind of our thought behind taking that Knowles class was that, you know, if we can know how to not make things worse, that will significantly help whoever's there. And you, my other reasoning was that you might be in the middle of town in the woods, but if you're, you know, nine miles from the trailhead, that's a three hour walk, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, ambulance ain't going to come back there to save your butt. So you kind of need to know. 
So I recommend I recommend everyone take a Knowles type class, but I understand they're kind of expensive. Yeah. Yes, and well, I'm actually really interested. We have 16 hours of training, Matt. I'm very very <laughs> interested to hear your days and years and all of that experience and training, how it measures up against what we have been told to do. Yeah, obviously. I honestly have no idea at this point. So I was, I divided my paycheck income by my hourly at that one point and came out to, I think it was 3,500 hours responding to 911 calls plus paramedic school and then plus four years of medical school about to start residency. So whatever that number is, it's (laughs) A lot and spans. Lots of oh my god! It's well, a lot closer to sixteen years. <laughs> <laughs> Soon it will be. <laughs> so you guys were looking up this uh, repetitive injury I talked to you about mm-hmm. earlier, right? Yeah. The thing I have with my knee, I've talked about it on the podcast before, and the way I had it explained to me is just like my thigh was like ripping my kneecap. Okay, I don't know why I'm using my hands. People can't see this, but. <laughs> Basically, instead of going straight up and down, it was going like sideways, mm-hmm. which was grinding it down. Well, that's pathognomonic for a for a specific thing. Oh, yes. And I was going to talk about that. If you guys use $10 words, I'm going to charge you a dollar. And then I'm going to okay. keep track at the end and edit it in. <laughs> I apologize. Also, if we say something that uh, is just in medical lingo and needs to be translated, please just let us know. <laughs> I'm a little worried that would be the entire episode. <laughs> Like, what does pathognomonic mean? means like... Textbook. That's that's textbook. This oh. diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? Like, what springs to mind when you hear knee pain and the, and the patella, a.k.a. the kneecap, mm-hmm. going where it's not supposed to, specifically to the outside of the knee during a pedal stroke? Yeah. So, so Anthony, what you're describing is um, textbook for... Uh, patellofemoral syndrome or patellofemoral pain syndrome. (laughs) Um, It has a couple of different names, but basically kind of what you're describing, I'm assuming you had that pain like while you were riding first and then kind of maybe off the bike as a Yeah. So what it usually is, is if I ride for a long time without properly stretching ahead of time, it will like, it'll come on while I'm riding and then it'll still be there for like days afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. So, that, <laughs> so that's a, yeah, that's pretty textbook for, uh, for PFS. And it's, it's a really common syndrome. One study I was reading said that almost a third of cyclists experience this at some point mm-hmm. um, really? and equally as prevalent among runners. Um, kind of the, what's going on is, you know, you got your patella, which is your kneecap. That's kind of free floating in your knee joint attached to ligaments and muscles, but not to any other bones. And then you have the femur, which is your thigh bone. And um, because of a couple of different things that I'll talk about in a second, the patella is pulled laterally or to the outside and the femur kind of pushes medially or to the inside. And that causes strain in the joint, causing that kind of anterior or the front of the knee pain that you're experiencing. Um, So there's a couple of different things that can cause this, but it's usually a combination of a few. So first is that like misalignment. Some people just like anatomically have misalignment. Um, but for the most part, most people have this because of a muscular imbalance. So especially with cycling and running, we have like a lot of quad strength, but not a lot of like hamstring strength. Um, or 
we have more flexibility in our quads and less flexibility in our hamstrings. So this can be caused by like really, really tight hamstrings and IT bands that kind of pull that patella out of place. My family has this fun thing, at least my brother and dad and I, or they call it, we call it duck feet where our feet don't point forward. They point like way out to the side. Yeah. So I can only imagine that doesn't help very yeah, much. For sure. <laughs> Just naturally, our legs want to be way cockeyed anyway. Yeah. Anthony also does have an aversion to stretching. Oh, dear. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. <laughs> that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, that's so like what you're describing um, kind of forces your knees to like buckle in, right? When no, you're doing more- that kind of cycling motion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I am cycling. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's part of the problem. And, and this is way more common in women than men um, by like a ratio of two to one. So twice as many really? women. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason is because women anatomically have the angles of our legs, like our knees come in more than men. Um, and, you know, statistically speaking, we usually have weaker, you know, muscles in general. Um, but especially those accessory muscles that kind of stabilize our joints tend to be weaker as well. So, so what can you do about it? Yeah. So what's why Jen's all wobbly when she walks? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff you can do about this. So I think that the biggest thing that we identified as like something you absolutely should do if you're experiencing knee pain with cycling is get a bike fit. Um, a lot of shops will do this. People have, I think it's a certification. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to jump in here yeah. that when, so the statement of if your knees hurt while you're cycling, you should get a bike fit is the biggest takeaway here because mm. yeah. So um, when I was younger and had a ton of time on my hands, um, I got the idea in my head of, I want to do an Ironman. So I was like, I'm going to save the 250 bucks. I'm not going to get a bike fit. Ended up having my cleats misaligned slightly. Um, and was like, oh, I'm, you know, 19, 20. Like, I'm just going to push through this pain, whatever. And ended up with severe lateral knee pain in my right knee. And it was like a year and a half or two years of uh, needing to do other activities like rock climbing before I could get back on a bike and really push it. So you can cause serious injury with misaligned cleats um, in particular. So if you get knee pain, go to a bike shop, get a fit and ask about the credentials of the person doing the fit. Um, So like, were you trained by specialized to do BG fit or did you go to Trex thing or like, where did you learn how to do a bike fit? And is it like a credentialed organization that like trained you on how to do this really important thing? And if you clip in, bring in your shoes and ask about cleat position, because that will absolutely determine kind of the angle of your knee while you're pedaling. Yeah. And they can do, so one of the things they also look at is how flat your feet are on your pedals. And then they'll actually look at shimming under the footbed and the both fore and aft and lateral positions or side to side positions of the cleats. Um, So there's a lot going into a bike fit. Cleat position is super important. If you start getting knee pain in particular, like something's going on and it's important to get it fixed because it will not get better if you keep pushing through under the same conditions that cause cause the injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That is so interesting. Well, and I, I've been told that maybe I should do a bike fit and I had the same reaction that it sounds like you did initially, Matt, of like, 
<laughs> but you know, I'll save money. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, uh, there are a few bike shops in the area who do bike fits and I'm not sure, you know, what their training is or, or whatever. Actually, I, I do know. I've looked at them, and they they have like some high tech stuff and like actual mm-hmm. training. That's kind of why they cost that much. Mm-hmm. It, I think it, Kyle's bikes has some technicians that are trained in the in the BG yeah, fit. So I did that you did that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, We've talked about a lot of the different causes of knee pain, um, which include mostly cleat fit and um, and saddle position is another yeah. big contributor. Well, speaking of saddle position, I've been, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast. I'm working on my gravel bike right now to figure out, I think I had the bike a little bit too big for me and the saddle in a wrong position because I was getting a whole bunch of shoulder pain when I was riding. And so I've been messing around with the stem and the saddle and I'm guessing it would help with things like that as well because that's been helping me already on that bike. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Not just for knees, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another cause to pay attention to that you can troubleshoot yourself is actually the um, saddle height. Mm-hmm. A lot of cyclists ride either too high or too low. Um, so a, a good way to kind of troubleshoot that is if if it's too high, your knee is going to be too op- or too like locked open. Um, and at high cadences, you'll start to feel your hips swaying side to side. Mm-hmm. So if while you're riding at a really high cadence, you're like, oh my God, my hips are bouncing all over the place and I'm supporting with my core as well as I can, that's a sign that, hey, maybe your saddle's too high. Um, versus if you're like, wow, I can bend my knees with my pedal down um, more than like five to 10 degrees, then, hey, you got you to put your saddle up or you're going to not do yeah. that. I think what helped me is I looked up kind of seat position or saddle position height online to see different pictures of where it should be and how it should be um because i know i think i know where it should be but describing that over podcast would probably be clunky like put your foot down extend your heel <laughs> see how far your mm-hmm. knee is like look at a picture you'll totally understand or yeah. go get a bike fit or go yeah. get a bike <laughs> fit at kyle's yeah. or Shout anywhere else in your local area no Just ask yeah. them about what their qualifications are and tell them we sent you and that we should get free stuff for it. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. Here at all. Oh, wow. You're trying to pull the influencer card, aren't you? I see what's going on. I mean, so far it hasn't worked even a little bit, but you know. <laughs> someday. So, someday when a hundred people show up. Yeah. So is there anything else that you can do besides like the bike fit for absolutely. that sort of injury? Yeah, absolutely. So is stretching good. Stretching is good. Yep. So, so a mix of, um, increasing flexibility. So stretching and increasing strength is usually kind of the, the way to treat this pain. So stretching, especially focusing on it bands. So that kind of lateral side of your thigh, um, and hamstrings can be really important for preventing PFS and then strengthening muscles around your knees. So this can be kind of a mix of weight bearing and non-weight bearing exercises like, you know, leg press squats, uh, single leg squats and um, lateral step downs are really helpful to kind of, you know, get those stabilizing muscles and lateral muscles as well. Um, And then one thing that I was reading about is doing some of these exercises with uh, this thing called neurofeedback. Um, 
which they kind of recommend using like oh what are those bands? Uh, resistance band. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So using, using resistance bands while you're doing things like squats, um, because you really want to target those, uh, accessory muscles on the side, on the inside and outside of your thigh, um, that we don't really think about a lot when we're doing those exercises. So doing squats and things with resistance band can kind of give you feedback in keeping your knees open and strengthening those accessory muscles, um, in order to actually be effective. Otherwise doing these things with poor form can make things worse or not make any difference. Um, and then one other thing I'll mention is there's some evidence for, um, taping. So like KT tape or something like that, um, doing patellar taping and it band taping. You can look up their like videos on how to do this, um, on the KT tape website or I'm sure other websites as well. Um, it's certainly something that cannot possibly hurt you and in conjunction with flexibility and strengthening can potentially help. Yeah. And I also want to throw out there that one of the other protective things that you can do is to be a multi-sport athlete. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about like put on a freaking skin suit and go call yourself a triathlete and ride your aero bar bike at 30 miles an hour on like, you know, pedestrian paths don't do that um but like get into running get into tennis you know any sort of activity especially if you're a cyclist you're doing a lot of linear motion and not a lot of start and stop motion yep so that start and stop and lateral motion is really important our knees are designed for that kind of activity and when we don't give our bodies the kind of activity that we've been involved for we get problems so if you can find like an activity you can do like once twice a week it can be like go play ultimate frisbee and an ultimate frisbee. That's what I was gonna say. Whatever, like anything like that is great. But being a multi-sport athlete reduces the incidence of PFS by like one and a half times or something crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so do you guys know who Lisa is? She's no. a mountain biker, crazy mountain biker. She's on all like anyway. Aubrey, I guarantee board. you've seen her on the the leaderboards. Yeah, I don't know. Aubrey, <laughs> Aubrey is probably higher higher than her on probably the leaderboards. Probably not. <laughs> she is. Aubrey, you've got a beat on some some of them. I just all right. So anyhow, <laughs> that's enough f- female anatomy measuring. Um, <laughs> Anthony, your point. My point was was that she does uh, frisbee. It was weird. We were at the leadership yeah. summit, and uh, she pulled out frisbee. She's like, "Yeah, I like to play frisbee beforehand," and that's almost exactly what you're talking about, Matt. Of like that start yeah. and stop. Yeah, and that was my thought while we were doing it. Of like. This is the complete opposite of biking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recommend Frisbee based on this nice lady I met. <laughs> and um, this other thing, freaking yoga, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had somebody tell me like, oh, do yoga to help strengthen stuff. And I was like, yoga, that's some girly bull pucky. <laughs> and then I did it. And A, it's hard. It was hilarious. Anthony was in so much pain the first time. Dude, yoga's hard. Yeah. For real. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and B, after I did it for like a week, I felt so much better in basically everything. Because, you know, I program all day. So all day I'm just like, not moving. And then I go bike, which is move your legs. Mm-hmm. Still sitting on a seat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. as a person who's done yoga and it's helped them, I think everybody should try try some yoga, man. Absolutely. And if you want recommendations for like cycling focused yoga, there's a bunch of YouTube channels that do just that. Dude, yoga with Adrian. She's adorable and super nice and has approximately four the 
40,000 videos. <laughs> Her dog is also cute, if I'm remembering this right. <laughs> All right. Well, so that was interesting. That was a kind of an intro topic that spiraled into how to do a bunch of other stuff. Because, I mean, that advice is good for anything, anyone who's biking, you know? Absolutely. Like, it's not just to fix your knee issues. It's also to fix your, like, being cramped up and tight muscles. And yeah, that would have fixed my shoulder issues too. And I would assume if you're not all tense and you have like yoga and are flexible, you know, when you go roll down a hill, you're less likely to break something as well. (laughs) Well, maybe mountain biking requires a surprising amount of like core stability and accessory muscle use. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So before we go into the rolling down a hill section, is there anything else that you guys have to add on repetitive cycling injuries like Um, repetitive motion injuries yeah the only other thing i would say is kind of like jen you mentioned earlier that bike fit can be helpful for not only knee pain but like neck pain wrist pain um low back pain a lot of people experience um (laughs) so cannot recommend getting that bike fit enough and something else also to keep in mind anthony that you mentioned like sitting at a desk all day Um, If you're having pain on the bike, especially like low back or neck pain, pay attention to your position and posture during the day while you're working because it is not going (laughs) to go away (laughs) when you get on your bike. (laughs) It doesn't reset your back pain. So yeah, programming is an endurance sport and in like not moving. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yoga. Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So what a great outro. Um, And the other thing that kind of all brings up is you know, talk to a doctor who knows about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because if a third of cyclists have this and you're talking to a doctor who knows nothing about cyclists, that's going to be way different than if they're like, have a bunch of cyclist patients. They'll be like, oh yeah, like a third of my people have this. Or if they're like Matt and rode their own bike into work. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look in their offices and see who has a bike. <laughs> so as a bit of a... Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wait and see who gets on their bike. <laughs> you will you see me, please, Mr. Doctor? Um So now on to bike injuries that maybe can't be fixed by a bike fit because you have been thrown off the bike or something happened with the bike. Yes. So I wanted to talk about my worst bike wreck, which actually wasn't even that bad. Basically I, I was uh It was freaky. Yeah, it was freaky. I was at banner going down a big hill and my front tire got caught like under a root somehow. Oh, and it threw me over the bars, ripped the tire off my bike. It broke, like, the plastic part of my helmet broke off, like, the foam part somehow. And it ripped my pants from, like, my knee all the way up to, like, my crotch. It was the war. It was crazy. Didn't break anything. Oh, my God. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I ended up having to limp my bike out. That one, there is not much to talk about because all I had was a giant bruise and, like, a bruised ego. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> you were not happy that day. No. Have you even had any wrecks, Jen? I was going to talk about my knee because that's probably the worst I've been injured. Like, I'm still trying oh, to figure yeah. out. I got thrown off my bike at Sycamore. I don't know what happened. I ended up on the grass and was like, there is nothing there, but I hit something. But no, my probably worst injury, I was riding the roots right after I was trying to go. Let's see. I was trying to go up the roots at center at the bottom of roller coaster the you know infamous roots in des moines and my tires were wet and my pedal slipped and like dug into my knee and pulled up and this one is mostly fun because i was sweaty and it was on my knee 
and it was, you know, I think it was like August in Iowa. So it was really humid out. So there's absolutely no way that a Band-Aid was going to stick to my knee. And it was really buggy. So I wasn't going to stand around and wait for the blood to dry. So I was just like, heck, I'm getting out of here. Kept biking. We were passing these walkers and Anthony kept having to be like, no, you have to stop and put something on your knee because blood was just like running down my leg. Uh, Silly walkers. Right? Like not that bad of an injury. It didn't even hurt that bad because it was in like the, the fatty fleshy part of my knee but it was definitely the most gnarly one i've had it was literally bleeding down into your like down to your shoe and i had to be like no we can't we're not going to horrify these people it was dry by the time it got to my sock it was fine that one's not that bad either no it's really not have you guys had any like serious injuries or wrecks i guess a couple times (laughs) that doesn't count (laughs) on a bicycle i have somehow never been hurt either rock climbing or on a bicycle yeah Yeah, never been hurt on a bike which is absurd something though i mean this could be a whole nother episode talking about competence well risk management matt is really really good at risk management yeah okay i think that would be a great episode actually because i i have that same thing of like don't push well beyond your skills and i mean i've done some crazy stuff i rode the whole enchilada by myself like yeah that's stupid but you know, I, I wasn't going off like 30 foot jumps and like sending it as hard as I could. Risk management's yeah. huge, but yeah, I think risk management, I would love to do a podcast, the Albert risk management, because if there's one thing that you can do to make your life better and ride faster, safer, and somehow I've been riding for 13 years, like pretty much daily. And the thing that has kept me safe has been straight up risk management and having a systematic way to do it. Yeah. And unlike us, Iowa losers over here who have only done risk management in terms of biking, you've done risk management in terms of just crazy ways like travel and mountain biking and climbing and like. I mean, Anthony, you just used the whole enchilada as an example. You can't say that's an Iowa. Yeah, but it's only biking related. <laughs> you, you know, there's other aspects to risk management besides just biking. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. also like, hey, should I get in this car with the stranger in fucking Guatemala? Like, maybe yeah. no. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's worst bike injury on this podcast right now is pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not to say that it's not always boring. I know a lady who got a brake lever embedded in her leg. Uh, uh, that's that ooey gooey part that we were talking about at the beginning guys that's they, unfortunate for that person from what i understand they disassembled the bike around her and carried her out yeah wow. right i guarantee somebody is going to hear that and be like hey i was there let me tell you about it in our yeah. messages <laughs> yeah, feel free to message us so honestly i think the most gnarly injury that I have personal experience with, and it's not my own, it's actually my mom, is she had a couple really bad crashes when she was living in Colorado and ended up with road rash. And I still remember being a little girl and like every once in a while, she'd get this tiny piece of itty bitty like gravel, like almost like a sand piece. It would come out of her leg from years later of things that just didn't completely get cleaned out. And I think she's got it all by now, but it was just one of those things where I was like, ah, that's so weird. It's like this, you know, five-year-old child. So can we talk about road rash for a minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
road rash is all about you know, lay your bike down it scrapes off a whole bunch of skin and you're like oh i'm tough this isn't a big deal but that's that's super wrong and um basically it's absolutely critical that you get all those foreign bodies out of your leg to avoid what happened to jen's mom um the way that i do it is has been effective over the years um is the moment it happens after you're like oh sweet i don't have any major injuries is to just grab your water bottle and scrub as hard as you can with your gloved hand oh. get it out and it's gonna hurt really bad but benefit of doing it right away is you're still hopped up on adrenaline so you have that temporizing analgesic faux free and then you just take advantage of it and get all that stuff out um while nothing is clotted and then that makes it way easier because then you know you're not dealing with both dried blood plus hair you know plus rocks and it's just rocks and blood yeah in the uh in the the nose class we took basically they're like I don't know if they covered road rash specifically, but they did cover burns and it would just like clean the crap out of that thing as, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do not delay. Do not be a baby about it. Just fucking go. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. learned that I am a baby about this. Like of everything we've talked about, that's like the one thing that turns my stomach. Oh, I'm not. I, I smashed my chin on the pavement and like popped uh-huh. right up and like rinsed it out. and was trying to like figure out if I needed stitches yeah. or not. It was a whole thing. I stopped some runners and was like, hey, do I need to go to the hospital? And they were like, oh, no, I don't think so. I'm like, all right, good enough. How come you didn't talk about that injury earlier? No, yeah. I just wasn't that bad. <laughs> I didn't need stitches. I rode another 50 miles after that. <laughs> yeah. And I see that uh, actually one of the questions is what kind of cuts need stitches because mm-hmm. we don't get cuts. Yeah. So actually, that that's a good question. Speaking of which. Speaking of wondering if I needed stitches on my chin there, <laughs> how can you tell? Because this was like a tiny little thing and I busted open my chin on a different place and it looked like uh, like the alien's mouth on Alien versus Predator. No, the Predator with like the, <laughs> like the four hinge jaw thing. It was not pretty. It was awesome. But that one did need stitches. Like how, mm-hmm. at what point do you say, all right, I need to get this sewn back together? Um, yeah, I mean... Kind of the rule of thumb that I think we've learned is um, we call it tissue approximation. So if, you know, the edges of your cut are not coming back together, you probably need stitches to pull them back together because that's how it heals. Oh, um, no. deep, you know, the deeper <laughs> the wound, probably the more likely you're going to need stitches. Um, but the one exception I would say is there's this thing called avulsion or if you just have like a chunk missing and there's nothing to pull together, then stitches probably aren't going to help. But I would say if you are asking yourself the question, if you're like, hmm, maybe I need stitches, it doesn't hurt to go to the ER or to urgent care and ask. (laughs) You will not lose anything by going and asking. Um, Yeah. Well, that was a way simpler answer than I thought it would be. That that makes total sense. Like, duh. Yeah, that's actually... (laughs) I was trying to figure out, like, okay, I'm going to have to remember, like, if it's this deep or this long, like, no. No, if you have to pull the edges of the cut together, you need something to hold them there. Obviously. <laughs> and if yeah. you're just missing a big old chunk of skin, don't even worry about it. Uh, and it's, <laughs> no, don't do that. No, no, you're no, no. like crazy, but they're, they may not be able to do stitches with, with an avulsion, which I experienced in December. I had a big chunk of my knee out. Um, but I would imagine that if you have a big chunk of skin missing, that that's a 
go to the hospital now. <laughs> that was a, an urgent care visit in and of itself. Yeah. You're not getting uh, stitches, but you're getting something. Mm-hmm. And a backwards thing that you'll see people do and talk about is super glue. Mm-hmm. Oh. And there is medical grade super glue that is, is used by your physician. But um, I've seen a couple times where it's gone terribly mm-hmm. wrong. Because if you do not adequately clean the wound with the right agents, um, you can trap bacteria in the wound in Ooh. without oxygen in what we call an anaerobic environment. And that can lead to all sorts of horrific abscesses, soft tissue infections that are really difficult to treat. Mm-hmm. So if your buddy says, hey, you can just use super glue on that. I would highly recommend to um, maybe consider the question of, am I cleaning this with the right stuff? And am I trained enough to know exactly how to do this right before I trap all of this bacteria underneath a layer of impermeable glue? Yeah, I was going to say with with that, like you can't just peel it off, right? Once you put it on there, you got some bigger problems if there's a problem. Yeah. 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 My, my advice as a Joe, nobody idiot is that if you're wondering if you should do that, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I really want to learn how to do stitches though, because I want to stitch stuff back up. Like, cool. Yeah. It's it's surprisingly easy, (laughs) but it should be done by medical professionals. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And also cuts to your, joint surfaces where there's a lot of movement of the skin. Um, those will often need stitches because, you know, there's so much stretching and flexing of that tissue. So for it to heal um, without the so-called granulation tissue or like these giant scars forming, you want to pull it together. So you only need a little bit of healing instead of a lot. And then anything that's on the face or has cosmetic implications um, is more likely to need stitches um just so that you prevent those those scars forming for the people that care about that stuff look at this face oh. we're not worried about cosmetic implications oh my god wow <laughs> oh my goodness jen you're gorgeous <laughs> one thing i want to say though if you if you do get a cut or like a wound um and you think you might need stitches you still need to do a few things before you know making it to the urgent care um and the first thing is irrigation like we talked about before just wash it out with as much water as you can we like to use iodine in our first aid kits as well um but a bunch of water will do just fine right then and then if you have something to cover it up like gauze um and like an ace bandage to apply pressure if you can pull together something like that to keep it kind of covered and clean uh, on your way to the urgent care. Definitely. Those things are worth carrying in your saddlebag. Yeah. When Aubrey says irrigate the wound with, with iodine, um, we're talking like, you know, one to one to two liters of irrigation. And the way to prepare the iodine is to um, put in just enough drops that it looks like, kind of like tea, like Earl Grey tea, light, like light tea. You don't want to use the iodine that comes out of the bottle for irrigation for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, other soaps are better um, because uh, concentrated iodine actually worsens tissue approximation, which is why we've moved away from using iodine in healthcare. 
So um, chlorhexidine soaps mm -hmm. are the, the preferred way to do it. But because it's so easy for me to carry concentrated iodine in my saddlebag, I have this little like tiny Nalgene spice bottle um, where I carry like half an ounce of iodine for long rides. So if I get messed up in the backcountry, it's just mm -hmm. easier for me to carry that than a whole bunch of chlorhexidine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's why we say iodine. It does have the negative effect of worsening tissue approximation if you use highly concentrated iodine. But in the setting of like, hey, we're out in the middle of the woods, it's, it's just what we, what we do. Yeah, and that chlorhexidine soap is something you can just buy at Walgreens. So that's really? very accessible. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the North class that we took was very much about like, do the best that you can with what you have. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I, Chlora, the soap thing that you were talking about <laughs> is probably the best option. And then iodine is a pretty good option. Mm -hmm. And then they went all the way down to like, just rinse that thing out with whatever yeah, you got. Yeah. If Exactly. Because like a bunch of river water is going to be better. I mean, clean water, you know, not like <laughs> swamp water. It's yeah. going to be better than whatever you just bashed your leg open on, whatever bacteria is in that. But Follow it up with then get out of there and get it checked out by exactly. someone who actually as soon as possible. Clean it. So that brings up a question that I've had. What exactly do you guys have in your first aid kits when you go out for a ride? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I'm a huge fan of minimalism. Um, you'll see all these yahoos who carry these crazy big kits that they will never need in a million years. Uh, my kit is kind of scaled up for the thing that I am doing and the things that I expect to have to do. So like the kit that I'd bring mountaineering and Patagonia, very different than a day ride, very different than like a like hundred mile bike ride. So if I'm going out on a short ride, um, I have some stuff that lives in my saddlebag and it is a handful of surgical gloves because I don't want to touch someone else's blood. That's icky. Um, and quick clot. And that's it because the things that I can improvise, um, are things that I can supplement with like my arm warmers, my leg warmers, my Jersey, if I need to. Um, but the things that I cannot fix are, Hey, you, you know, have a wound that's just not stopping the bleed, I can't put a tourniquet on. So I'm just going to take this quick clot. And when you use quick clot, um, read the directions on the back before you need to use it. Um, but generally you kind of get it deep down in there, there into the wound. And um, when you have to stop bleeding, you want to put a bunch more pressure on it than you think you need. Like we're talking like all of your body weight until it stops bleeding. Yeah. So short rides, literally um, nitrile gloves, quick clot. If I'm going on anything that's like more than like 20 miles or I'm riding with a group of friends or whatever, um, I'll throw in a SAM splint and a ACE bandage and that's it. Because in my experience, when you get a fracture, very rarely is it a nice straight thing. And the SAM splints make it so easy to um, fashion a splint for weird angulated fractures. It's really stable and really fast. So you don't need to faff with sticks. You don't need to faff with, you know, bark off trees or whatever. Like just grab your Sam splint. It's really light, fits in really well in my saddlebag or um, like in the back of a backpack. And, you know, so my first aid kit is super minimal. Um, and then I'll also have like some iodine and that's it because I can throw the iodine in a water bottle and irrigate with it. 
nitrile gloves, my Sam splint and quick clot. And that's it. And it weighs like maybe like five or six ounces and takes up like the size of my fist. So I'm this is actually super interesting because I, you know, I, I haven't had any actual hands-on experience with this kind of stuff. And you with your extensive ambulance experience probably know like what stuff is a right now problem and what stuff is like a, you know, we can deal with this later. And so it's interesting that your, you know, your, uh, what would you call it? Short ride or whatever is just two things. Yeah. Because that's probably the one thing, you know, extensive bleeding. That's the one thing that you can't really wait for a little while. Or it's like a broken, something broken. Eh. <laughs> eh, it sucks yeah. to be you, but. Yeah, exactly. And if you're just riding around in your local park, that's, you know, maybe three to four miles away from, you know, the parking lot at any point on the trail system and a fire engine kit or ambulance can get there, you know, to in like 30, 40 minutes, then you don't need to bring a lot of stuff because all you need to do is just stay still um, and or help someone walk out with uh, a little bit of a self splint. So self splints are awesome when you need to like evac someone. Yeah. So a self splint is literally Hey buddy, it looks like you broke your wrist. Can I help you walk out? I can carry your bike. Here's a stick. Um, we're going to hold this stick against your arm and you kind of cradle, you know, the stick and your arm and maybe wrap a jersey around it and boom, there you have a good splint that you can walk out with. Yeah. Well, oh, so it's just holding it immobile, but like using that person to keep their own body part kind of immobile. Yeah, the more things you can have the injured person do for themselves, the easier it's going to be on everybody. So if they're like, oh, my God, my arm, like I broke my arm and they're holding it against their chest and they're holding, you know, their other arm over their broken arm, they're splinting against their chest. Like, are you really going to improve that situation very much um, by you holding it and doing all this stuff to it? Probably not. So put a little bit of stabilizing stuff over there but um while you're waiting for an ambulance or whatever you don't need to go hog wild and make a splint that you know the ambulance you have to take off anyway if you're if you're not having to move big distances yeah i, I on, on the subject of kind of first aid stuff in general i think a big thing is know what you have and how to use it because like even your gloves and quick clot you could really screw stuff up if you don't know what the heck you're doing Absolutely. like don't you not get quick clot in your eyes yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but people are stupid. Their people sometimes are misguided in their well, approach. Well, especially if they just got hurt and they're freaked out about it. Like what you guys said about iodine earlier, I could completely see somebody running out and, you know, maybe they hear it here. Maybe they read something online of like, oh, you use iodine to wash out wounds. And if they get road rash and they're amped up on adrenaline and hurting and don't want it to get worse, they might not slow down enough to realize that they have to dilute it. Yeah. So, and then you're putting 80% iodine on a wound and then wondering why it's taking forever to heal. Yeah. So yeah, guys, like if you're going to carry something, make sure you know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's why the disclaimer at the top is this is not to tell you how to use it. This is to give you guidance of like, oh, I should learn how to use it and go out and figure this out because the time to figure it out isn't when you need to know, know it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One thing I'll add to things that we carry all the time uh, that we found out we needed is I use a lot of like nutrition in my water bottles, but having at least one bottle that's always only water, nothing else in it. 
and having uh, that be the last thing you drink so that if you need to irrigate something, you have that at the ready. Or you get something in your eyes. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. We needed to, <laughs> we needed to irrigate Matt's brother's eyes once. Jesus. And uh, I had to run to the car to like get just water. Cause all we had was, you know, stuff with heat in it. And so that's something that, you know, you don't think about until it happens and you're like, I'm not going to wash out your wounds with my, you know, heat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Having your, having your water, water bottle kind of be the last thing that you drink set aside, ready to irrigate um, is something definitely worth having all the time. That's funny. So I have this water bottle and I hadn't even really thought about it that way, but I think it's supposed to be a joke, but the water bottle says emergency drinking water on it. And so that's just turned into my, this is my just water bottle and I'll put other stuff in if I'm taking a different water bottle. But yeah, I can see how that would actually be a really, really helpful thing to have. You don't need to put nutrition in your eyes or on your wound. (laughs) Nothing like giving the bacteria literal sugar. (laughs) Oh God. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Um, The other thing that I want to throw out as a must have is a communication device. Mm-hmm. So beyond the cell phone, so I um, subscribe to Spot and I have Spot. And whenever we go somewhere that I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have cell coverage, I just throw out my jersey pocket, throw out my saddlebag. Um, I've never needed to use it, but it gives me enormous peace of mind to know that, you know, if I get hurt or if I come across somebody who gets hurt in the backcountry, that I can, you know, get help instead of having to wait for much longer than a couple hours even um even not in the backcountry jen and i we share each other's location with google so we always know where each other are at mm-hmm. yeah not because we're super like possessive although we are but <laughs> <laughs> no we're not but because i'll go on a bike ride and i'll end up freaking downtown and i didn't know i was going to end up there and the way i come back you know i don't know how i'm coming back so if anything happens to me jen can look and be like oh he hasn't moved for like the last hour yeah, mm-hmm. isn't texting me back, or if like Anthony's at Hersey. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> or if like my Garmin goes off and it tells Jen I was in an accident, or if I text her, I'm like, "Hey, I need help." She can just be like, "Boom, I'll be there in ten minutes." Yeah, and since it's you know a Google thing, I literally pull it up, click on it, go to Google Maps, hit directions, and it tells me the fastest way to get to where Anthony is. So oh, that's nice. Definitely something that we use a lot when the other person is out on a bike ride and. If Anthony isn't texting me back, which is a fairly standard thing if he's biking, I will check and see, like, if he's still moving, fine, he's biking. I don't need him to text me back. And if I do, like, if I really need to hear from him, I can call him. But I don't have to worry about, like, oh, he's stuck in the ditch somewhere. or Oh, he got hit by a car and they didn't stop to check and see if he was okay. So, yeah, that only works if you have cell coverage. But that's something that we use quite a bit. Yeah, we, we have the same, like the iPhone has a feature, like find my, you can add people um, and Strava beacons. All that stuff is is really important to have, you know, an emergency contact, know where you are. It's very helpful. So one last thing that I really wanted to touch on, Matt, while you're here is if you have to call the ambulance, what is actually helpful to tell them and what is just more than they need to know or completely off topic? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, if it's a emergency, you're going to be really hopped up on adrenaline. And I would strongly encourage you to take a couple of moments to calm down and think through what you're going to say before you call. 
And for some people, that can mean that it'll be a minute or two before you're calm enough to communicate effectively. And that's okay. Um, so it's really important to be calm when you make that call because the information is really important. When you call 911, uh, the dispatcher, you're going to have all of these things you want to say, but the dispatcher is going to be the one to really guide the conversation. And when you call 911, just expect for them to have a lot of questions for you and be ready to answer them. So the they'll pick up and ask, what's the location of your emergency? So it's really important that you know where you are. So the name of the trail system you're on, the name of the trail, um, and the location of the trailhead. So they might not be familiar with all of the mountain bike trails in the area, and likely they'll be Googling the name of the park that you're at. So if you know that, hey, I'm at like uh, Ashworth Trails off of 45th, the closest cross street is 45th in Grand, super helpful. And we'll avoid ambulances getting sent to the wrong spot. Oh, so God. Starting a ride, you want to know the road that the um, trail system is off of and the closest cross street. And if you can just log that in your brain, will be really helpful and get, get you help faster. Because one of their next questions will be, what's the closest cross street? Um, and then they'll kind of ask for uh, a story depending on what how advanced your county is they'll have a algorithm they'll follow otherwise they'll just let you talk if they just let you talk the things that you really need to communicate are um, how many people are injured um, are there any threats to life which would be airway breathing circulation and what those threats are um, and then somewhat of a description of how to get to you and a good way to do that is you can pull up your trail forks and give them the trail you're on any, uh, the closest like trail intersection. Um, and then that, that's pretty much it. But the big thing is knowing the trailhead and being able to be calm enough to communicate effectively are the, are the, the most important things identifying and communicating, uh, life threats, um, because that'll determine how fast they're going to get out to you because ambulances moving fast create risk to the paramedics, risk to the public. So they, you know, aren't going to go lights and sirens if, if it's not a true emergency. So identifying, is this a true emergency or not kind of determines how quickly you're going to get help. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, an ambulance speeding through downtown is going to potentially create issues. Dude, even that, I had no idea. I just figured ambulances always just turned on their sirens and gunned it no matter where they were going. Yeah, no. <laughs> that, yeah. No, it makes sense if I think about it for more than, you know, five seconds. Right, uh, for sure. That was one thing that Knowles did really well is they had you, like, write down everything. Because a lot of times they were talking extraction, like, way in the backcountry. So it was <laughs> about, like, recording how they are and how they have been doing so you can check their vitals to see if anything's, like, if they're just crashing like, oh, they seem fine, but their heart rate's 180 for the last two hours. Like, <laughs> Send a helicopter. Yeah, right? <laughs> They're not dead when you arrive. Right? Yeah. So one thing that may or may not apply, but something that we do for work in case of emergency. So I work construction management. And when we start on a new project, all of us are given stickers that go inside our hard hats that have the project name 
the address and the phone numbers of other people that we might need to contact on site because what we're always told at work is in an emergency, you you forget everything. So this is something that I was just thinking about. Like if I was going out to a trail system routinely, I might actually make myself one of those stickers for my bike helmet Hmm. because it's already that automatic. Something happens. I pull whatever helmet off, but my bike helmet currently doesn't have information on the inside of it. And I could see that being something useful, like if well, a only, kid was out riding too, Yeah, being able to say, oh, I'm here at this place and at least start with that. Oh, so the NICA stuff, what they do is they have you, like if you're with a group of kids, essentially, you have all their emergency contact information there. Like, I think they say even print it off to have it in your bag in case you don't have like cell coverage. I was just thinking for like locations, like if you mm-hmm. know the address of what's the Sycamore parking lot, you know, that's the kind of thing that. That's not a bad idea. Not a bad yeah, idea. When, when we were that, actually, looking- that actually makes me think of uh, something else that's incredibly helpful is if you do have your information written on the inside of your helmet, we do check for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want everyone to pause this podcast right now and enter their medical information into like their emergency phone app. If you're comfortable doing that, because that's another thing that we check and makes it really easy for us to know what your medical history is. And um, if you're headed to the hospital, a good phone number to call to let them know that, Hey, you know, we have, we have your loved one, they're being cared for and we're going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So that, you do that actually sense. check that stuff. Um, alternatives are like life, life bracelets. Um, there are all sorts of companies that do these online bracelets where you have a bracelet with a special code that we put in on the internet and we have special accounts for as um, care providers so that we can access your medical information without you having it on your cell phone. Yeah. So road ID is one of good the- options. Mm-hmm. Use one of them. Uh, what is it? USAC. When you, no, Bike Red. Bike registration. BikeRed.com. When you sign up, there's always like a discount code for uh, road ID. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. I see it all the time. That's why I know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably something that we should get better at. Because a lot of times we're riding together, but not always. And that doesn't guarantee that, you know, we would be together if there was a situation like that. I think we're probably out of time for today. I feel like we have enough material that we can do a part two and maybe even a part three, but yeah, thank for real. you very, very much guys for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah. This is funny. Yeah. I'm sure with how much we didn't cover, we could probably do another one if you guys were interested and yeah. this will probably get a lot of feedback. So we'll have even more to cover later. <laughs> yeah. So- more questions. I'm sure. <laughs> For today, do you have anything else that you want to add? Um, two things that I've been thinking about is uh, self-splinting. So if you do find yourself um, with a break of your own, of like your arm or your leg, the less you can move it and the better you, su- you can support it, the better off you will be. And if you come across another person who has like a, a suspected fracture, the less you can move it and the better you can support it um, kind of is going to improve their, their outcomes. So just, I don't know, ha- have that in mind um, as you help them with splinting or anything, always be asking the question of like, am I making this better or worse? Cause yeah, 
I've seen a lot of novices help with splinting and it'd be just a mess. Um, so yeah. And then the, the other thing I want to make sure to iterate is if you find someone out in the, in the woods who is bleeding, always make sure that you are safe first. Mm-hmm. And if you decide to help them and you're stopping a bleed for a loved one, a stranger yourself, it takes a lot more pressure than you think it will. So we're talking like as much weight as you can put into that wound. And you're going to want to keep pressure until they've stopped bleeding for quite some time. Um, Obviously don't push on their neck with your full body weight because that makes no sense. They use some common sense, but when stopping a bleed, it takes a lot more force than you think. Mm -hmm. That's That's good to know. Yeah. Aubrey, do you have anything? Um, I think... My biggest takeaway would be if you're asking yourself, do I need care, whether it's a chronic pain thing or, you know, an acute injury, then you probably should seek it. <laughs> if it's even a question, it's better to err on the side of caution. Well, yeah. Once again, thank you guys very much. I know that I learned a lot. I hope all you listeners did as well. I think we're going to wrap it up from there. We'll see. We might have a part two coming for you guys. Until next time, you can find us on Instagram at bottom.bracket.biking. We will look forward to hearing all of your comments, questions, stories, that sort of things. Please know uh, horrible injury photos. And as always, ride dirt, not mud. Thanks for listening. All aboard the pain train. (laughs) 